This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. And go for Mike Slater in 3, 2, 1. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. It's Slater Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. What a ridiculous day yesterday was. And how many days we got? We got 10 days now? Holy cow, it's going to get even crazier. Um, I haven't had a chance to watch any reaction on TV today, and I'm sure there'll be more tomorrow about what happened yesterday with with Hillary and her emails. But here are the two talking points that I predicted yesterday, and you tell me if if this has been the case in the last, uh, it's been about 24 hours. First, they will attack Comey, James Comey saying it is outrageous that he would do this right now and without giving any detail about what was in those emails, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they will crush him. Kill the messenger. Also, th- this is the other twist. They'll say, well, it- it's-, it's so irresponsible of-, of not only James Comey, but also of the media uh, to-, to be saying that they're-, they're reopening the case. They're not reopening the case. The media has it wrong. The Republicans have it wrong. Everyone's lying and, and what really matters here, uh, Chris, is um, the issues that matter most to the American people. <laughs> There's a little pivot away. But they'll say that they're not reopening the case, which technically the FBI didn't say they're reopening case because technically the case was never closed. So you can't reopen what was never closed. But they're essentially reopening the case. But they're going to, on a technicality, as the Clintons all, often do, which we'll get to in a second, uh, we'll uh, speak to the extreme specifics of, well, they never said they're reopening the case. So really, this is all being blown out of proportion. Amazing. There's got to be something. And this is what's crazy about this whole thing, too. The left in July said to conservatives, you are a horrible person for questioning the integrity of Director James Comey. There is no more honorable man in the government than James Comey. And now he's a political hack. It's hilarious. You have uh, people like Paul Krugman from uh, New York Times talking about how Comey, he's intentionally tipping the scales of this election in favor of Donald Trump. Oh, you mean uh, like a rigged election? Weird. And I promise you, Oh, and by the way, uh, Paul Krugman, how dare you? How dare you threaten the peaceful transfer of power that we've celebrated in this nation for 240 years? 
You and your accusations of a rigged election, you are ripping the fabric of this nation in two. You should be ashamed of yourself. How do I know that talking point? Oh, because you told that to us last week. So I'm just flipping it around. Also, I promise you, when Trump wins in a few days, the Democrats, or not all the Democrats, some Democrats will be, there will be violence. I'll just put it like that. There will be violence in the streets after Donald Trump wins. And the Democrats are going to tell Hillary, you can't concede this race. You got to fight. You can't concede to Donald Trump. And the Democrats are going to say it was rigged by Russia, hacked by Russia. These are all the things they've been criticizing Trump for suggesting all these last few weeks. And they are going to be shouting it from the rooftops. Comey is a hack. The election is rigged. And Hillary, you can't concede to that dictator. Threatening the peaceful transfer of power that we've had in 240 years. It's all going to flip around. What a story. I want to share. Back up a second. Share a new study that has come out. I I like this study because, um, well, it's confirming the obvious. and, And I love it when science catches up to the Bible. Happens all the time. Luke 16, 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So a new study finds that when you tell little lies, it's a lot easier to tell bigger lies over time. But it's more than that because that's obvious. Here's what it does. Small lies actually desensitize the brain to the big lies that are to come. The brain stops registering that you are lying and that this is wrong. So that way, the bigger lies don't even matter. It's wild. Let me share. Let's slow down a second and we can talk about the study in a little more detail. So they set this up where one person would guess how many pennies are in the jar. And then they passed that person's guess to another person who counted the pennies and then compared the actual number of pennies to the guess. Now, at this point, the scientists changed the terms of the experiment to three different things. I won't go into the exact detail of what they did because it's kind of complicated, but they three different experiments from this point forward. And each one of them resulted in people bringing home money, whether it's the first person who guessed how many pennies or the second person who actually counted the pennies. So one incentive made it more likely for the second person to benefit themselves and hurt the first person who guessed. Then they changed the incentive so incentive so the person who was counting, uh, it, it, if they lied, it would hurt them, but benefit the stranger, the other person who, count, who guessed. And then the third thing they did is they made it so that if the person lied who was counting, if they lied, then it benefited both people, them and the person who guessed. Make sense? Now, what they found is that very few people lied in a way that hurt them and benefited the other person. And that makes sense, right? Why, why would someone lie to hurt them and benefit the other person? That doesn't make sense. So, so, so naturally, no one did that. Some people did uh, told lies that benefited them and hurt the other person, right? Because they, they, you know, they got theirs. So who cares if I hurt this other person? It doesn't matter. I got mine. It's all good. So some people did that. But you know what most people did? Way more people lied in a way that benefited them 
and the other person who they don't even know. It's a stranger, right? So, so the person who's counting lied about their actual number of pennies so that they got more money and so that the, the first person, the person who guessed got more money. They don't know that person. So why are they more likely to lie in that scenario? Because they could justify it to themselves easier. They could justify that this lie is for the common good. Oh, it's not just me who benefits, but we all benefit. So it's okay if I lie. Interesting. We'll get back to that in a, get back to that in a second. But here's the interesting part of the story. The people who are lying were hooked up to brain measuring machines. And the part of the brain that deals with emotion, when, when they lied the first time, that part of the brain lit up like a Christmas tree. But as they kept lying, little tiny lies, meaningless lies, as they kept lying over and over, that part of the brain stopped lighting up. It became desensitized. So then when they were faced with the opportunity to tell a bigger lie, the whopper, it didn't seem like that big of a deal. So lying, these scientists have concluded, is a lot like our other senses that can become desensitized. Do you know someone who wears way too much cologne or perfume? They don't, they can't tell. Right? Every day they put on a little bit more, a little bit more, a little more, right? They don't smell it anymore, but everyone else sure does. Right? They become desensitized. Their sense of smell has become desensitized. Or you talk to maybe someone who works at a, a, like a dairy farm or something, right? It reeks. You drive by it and you're like, oh my gosh, let's get out of here. The person who works, they don't, they don't smell it anymore. They become desensitized to it. So we get it with our smell. Um, my wife and I, we've had it with our hearing these last uh, 16 days that we've had a, a kid. Uh, not only to the crying, although, yes, I just thought of that one, right? You talk to parents, they don't even tell if the baby's crying. Like, it's not even, doesn't bother them at all. But you talk to younger people, younger couples who aren't parents yet, and one time a baby cries and they flip out. They're like, I, I, get me out of here, right? But parents have become desensitized to it. But um, we have in our room a, it's uh, called a rock and play, right? And it's got this motor and it basically just like rocks the baby a little bit. So it's a motor and the motor hums pretty loud. It's like, mm-hmm. All night long. And then we got uh, this nightlight, right? So Steph can look over and make sure Jack is still breathing. Freaks out new parents, although she's doing much better with that. So we got this. Oh, and then we have a noise making machine. Just like white noise. So we go, and then we got the light shining. And they're like, are you kidding me? What is that? You can't sleep like that. A couple days into it, I could. Now I'm desensitized. Doesn't matter. I could sleep right here if I needed to. All right, so I become desensitized to the smell, or excuse me, to the hearing. Same thing with lying. Same thing. Now you can think about this with your life. You think you're getting away with telling little lies, small lies, white lies, and that's fine. But just know that you're desensitizing yourself to bigger lies. So when that bigger lie comes, you won't even realize it. You won't even think it's a bigger lie. You won't even realize how big of a lie it is because you've been desensitized to it with all the little lies. That's not good. But also our politicians. I'm sure you've wondered before how they can lie so easily. Hillary, right? She can just lie about her emails for for months now. Like over a year. And not even matter. It's because she's become totally desensitized. All of our politicians are completely desensitized to it. 
And to go back to the one of the one of the uh, elements of the experiment, they justify it in their brain by saying, "If I lie, it's for the common good." It's not. Obviously, it's for their own good. But they justified it in their brain, which just desensitizes it even more. Interesting. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Now I want to go to a, a specific lie coming up next and we'll break down word for word and you can see how good the clinton team is at uh at parsing words the meaning of is is right well, they're still doing it and they're gonna try to get away with it now they got 10 days to try and lull the american people into to sleep again with more lies about this one we'll see if it works one 888 mike slater so the blaze radio network spread the word mike slater on the blaze radio network The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. This is Mike Slater. All right, here's an example of how good they are at lying, and you're going to see uh, a clinic put on by Hillary's team in these next few days. By the way, did I read, um, I shouldn't even say this, but I read a headline. I'll look up if this is actually true, but... When this story broke yesterday, Hillary's team was in the air and their internet wasn't working. So they didn't even know about this till their plane landed. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's a pretty cool part of the story. So they were definitely scrambling to come up with something as soon as they landed. Could you imagine if that's true? And the plane lands and they get their internet finally. And they're like, uh, uh, Hillary. That had to be a moment. So here's an example of how good they are at lying, how skilled. This is Jake Tapper. Talking to Hillary's campaign manager, Robbie Mook. Listen to how he formulates his answer, particularly at the end. That's the part we're going to break down. But here's the the context. We talked about this before the last debate, but two Democratic operatives, Robert Creamer and Scott Fovel, were caught on tape um, uh, talking about instigating violence at a Trump rally in Fovel's case. Um, The last time we spoke, you said any violence is unacceptable. Have you looked into whether or not Democratic operatives paid by the Democratic National Committee were actually instigating these horrific uh, actions, these violent actions we saw at Trump rallies. That's, I mean, I'm sure you would agree. It's, if that's true, that's really offensive. Well, violence is unacceptable. These individuals no longer have a relationship with the DNC. They've never had a relationship uh, with the Clinton campaign. And my understanding is the, the uh, events that are referenced happened, I think, in February uh, of last year. They did not have a contract with the DNC until June. But putting all that aside... 
this this was again a, a video that was leaked out for the purpose of damaging the campaign. It is edited, so we don't know what the full context is, uh, and there is there's no evidence whatsoever uh, that we have been able to find that anyone ever did anything like this when they were working uh, for the DNC. But certainly even if they weren't working for the DNC, if they were Democrats and they were instigating violence, this is horrific. It's, it's unacceptable for anyone from either party to do that. But again, no one who was working for the DNC or the Clinton campaign was doing that. All right, check out the sentence. There's no evidence whatsoever that we have been able to find that anyone ever did anything like this when they were working for the DNC. Okay, so let's just break down this word for word here because you know they formulate this uh, legalistically. There is no evidence whatsoever. Okay, so he's not saying that the illegal activity didn't take place. He's just, there's, there's no evidence that it took place. There's no evidence whatsoever. There's no evidence whatsoever that we have been able to find. Well, that's a weird sentence. Isn't that a weird addition to the sentence? There's no evidence whatsoever that we have been able to find. Oh, how hard did you look? <laughs> right. So that just leaves the door open for someone else to find evidence. And then they can come back and be like, oh, gosh, well, we just didn't know. We didn't see that. You would never say that. I mean, I, I know I always use this, this example, but if you were cheating on your wife and you got caught and your wife said, are you cheating on me? And you'd say, well, listen, there's no evidence whatsoever that, that uh, anyone's been able to find that I am cheating on you. <laughs> what is that? You know, no woman would ever buy that. Well, you have no evidence whatsoever, uh, at least that I've been able to find, that you know about my cheating. <laughs> it's like, that is such a bizarre formulation. All right, so there's no evidence whatsoever that we've been able to find that anyone ever did anything like this when they were working for the DNC. That is the great qualifier right there. When they were working for the DNC. No one claimed uh, that the, the, the people in those videos from a couple weeks ago uh, were starting, starting fights at the Trump rallies, right? No one's claiming that they were working for the DNC. No one. They worked for some community organizing group. Right? They worked for some activist groups who were paid by the DNC. They weren't working. They weren't paid directly by the DNC, right? They're, they're, no, they would never do that. They need plausible deniability. So they never worked for the DNC. Right? It's the DNC paid someone else who paid someone else who paid someone else who paid these groups. That's why Mook can say there's no evidence whatsoever that we've been able to find that anyone ever did anything like this when they were working for the DNC. He can say that lie and feel okay about it. And I don't know how he feels really when he's off camera. He's like, I, I'm ashamed of myself. I don't know what he, what he says to himself when he looks in the mirror. But he can say that lie because he's lied so often before, constantly, all the time. They get around a table together every morning and they scheme ways to lie and mislead and spin and distract and equivocate. I don't know how you live with yourself doing that all the time. Like, that is your business. Just lying. Figure out, how to, figure out ways to lie. How do you do that? How do you live with yourself like that? What's the Mark Twain line? Tell the truth and then... Uh, you never have to remember anything. That's just so much easier to tell the truth. It must be exhausting for these people to live like this. So, final thoughts on this. Um, 
when evidence one day comes forward that Hillary was directly involved in this or the DNC was directly involved in this, Robbie Mook has a way out. The campaign has a way out, the way he worded that lie right there. And then he'll get away with another lie, which will just embolden him and other paid liars to keep going into the future. And I'll say this, everyone who values honesty, now hear, hear, hear my second sentence before I say this, everyone who values honesty should vote for Trump, not because, listen to this, not because Donald Trump is a saint or not also a liar. But if you value honesty, you should vote for Donald Trump because the media will hold him accountable like they've never held anyone accountable before. If both candidates are liars, the vote is based on who the media or how the media will react. With Trump, they're going to be all over him. All over him. Everything he says, they're going to be, they're going to be, oh, investigative journalism like you've never seen before in your entire life. But if Hillary wins, they will join in on the lying. So if you value honesty, I'm not saying one or the other is going to be honest. Let's say they both are liars. But if Trump wins, at least lying will be held more accountable. If Hillary does, please. I'll be more and more, it'll never stop. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. I want to uh, chat a second about voter fraud, and, and I, I sort of alluded to this earlier in the first segment about how the narrative of the last two weeks, and I really hope you can remember it, because the narrative of the last two weeks is going to be replicated in uh, the day after the election, but flipped, completely flipped. And voter fraud in a rigged election is going to be uh, the number one talking point from Democrats. Talk about that next. 1-888-900-3393 and Slater Radio on the Tweet Machine. Mike Slater, Show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. listening to Mike Slater. I just want to talk about rigged election, what that means, rigged election. So, I don't know, I don't know if the media intentionally, or, or if this is just the normal reaction to that. When you think rigged, I, I don't know if they think, I don't know what they think. <laughs> Here, let, me, let me look up, uh, sorry, one second, rigged in the dictionary. Uh, Sorry, I should have done this during the break. Here we go. Uh, to manipulate fraudulently. To manipulate fraudulently. I think when they think rigged, they imagine like there's one person. Like Trump is saying, they're rigging the election. Like there's one person in D.C., the president, who by the push of a button can make sure that Hillary wins in the end. Like, like no, I don't think that's it. And I don't think anyone's saying that's what's happening. There's a lot of little things, right? There's a lot of manipulation. There's a lot of fraudulent manipulation that is going on all over the place, or at least the potential for it. So in Pennsylvania, and the polls are pretty close to Pennsylvania, they have electronic voting machines. No paper trail. No paper trail. What the heck? I guarantee you, if Trump wins in Pennsylvania, the Democrats will be screaming bloody murder for a recount. But they can't because there's no paper trail. 
what the heck? Why would you not have a paper trail? And they're going to say that Russia rigged the election for Trump in Pennsylvania. They have been setting the groundwork for this for weeks with the Russia part. The narrative flip is going to be amazing to watch. And I promise you, every talking point that the left has used against Trump these last few weeks will be used the day after the election, but the other way. They'll be flipped, totally flipped, every single part. But real quick, putting politics aside, how can you have electronic voting machines without a paper trail to match it up? That is ripe for corruption, and Philadelphia is just as bad as Chicago in that regard. When Trump wins, you'll be hearing cries of voter fraud from the same people who are mocking Trump for saying the same thing. And I think it's really important to be clear here. Voter fraud is real. It is absolutely real. It is 100% real. And if you don't think it is, then you're, you're kidding yourself. Of course it's real. The question is, is it ever enough to swing an election? Now, most of the time, no, but sometimes, yes. JFK beat Nixon in, in uh, Illinois. JFK beat Nixon in 1960 in Illinois by 9,000 votes. So JFK won the state. But JFK beat Nixon in Cook County by 450,000 votes. That's over double the amount that JFK beat Nixon in the entire country. <laughs> in the entire country, JFK beat Nixon by like 200,000 votes. But in Cook County, he beat Nixon by 450,000 votes? Cook County, Chicago. I don't think so. So there was definitely voter fraud in Chicago for that election. And yes, it did make a difference because he won Illinois and then ultimately, you know, wins those electoral colleges and that can swing an election, right? In the undercover video from O'Keefe, it has the Americans, uh, what is it? Americans United for Change guy saying, we've been bussing in people for 50 years and we're not going to stop now. That's voter fraud. That's rigging an election. Many, many different ways to do it. Stuffing a ballot box is a term that's been around for a long time. Right? This, isn't a, this isn't a new 2016 phenomenon that Donald Trump has invented. Like, what? Voter fraud? Yeah, stuffing the ballot box has been around forever. Now, let me flip it around. Just a little precursor of the complaints that the left are going to make when Trump wins. This is Huffington Post just the other day, like two days ago. Headline, this is what actual voter suppression looks like. And it's appalling. Okay, Huffington Post, far left. Here they are talking about voter suppression. So they tell the story of in North Carolina, where apparently the North Carolina Republican Party encouraged Republican representatives in the state to appoint Republican county election officials. Are you with it? Right? So, so the party, GOP, says, hey, reps, state reps, make sure you, you appoint Republican county election officials so that... They can limit the locations and and hours of early voting locations in heavily Democratic areas. Right. So so they say, hey, listen, we got these Democratic areas, let's say in the city and uh, make sure that you limit the number of polling places for early voting so we can suppress that vote. And that happened in some areas. There's one area that voted for Obama by a ton in 2012. They had 16 early voting locations in 2012 in this area. This year, there's only one. And they say that early voting has decreased by 85%. Now, I share this just because it goes on both sides. Both sides. Always has, always will. That's what political parties do. Right? I mean, the point is, 
for their people to win and they'll do whatever possible within the framework of the law, which by the way, what happened in North Carolina is they, they made clear, limit the number of locations and hours to as little as possible allowed by law. Okay. So there's legal things to do and then there's illegal things to do and we can discuss the point of that. But the, but the big picture is that yes, this goes on and it always will. And I guarantee you, whoever loses is going to bring the results of this election to the Supreme Court. I guarantee you. They'll bring it to the Supreme Court because the supporters on either side, Trump or Clinton, they're so invested. They're so emotionally invested. They won't give up. And here's the other thing. They can't fathom that anyone else in the country that they live in would support the person that they hate so deeply. Are you with me? People don't just dislike the other candidate. They hate the other candidate. And with Hillary calling Trump dangerous and we can't let him get a hold of the nuclear codes and stuff like that. Imagine this scenario where Trump wins Pennsylvania. He wins Pennsylvania. It's close, right? So the Electoral College is close and it comes down to Pennsylvania and Trump wins. But there's no voter trail. Now imagine he wins Ohio as well, but there's calls of voter suppression there. And because so few black people actually voted in North Carolina, they're going to claim that there was racist voter suppression in North Carolina. That's why Trump won. They're going to claim voter suppression. They're going to claim fraud. They're going to claim it's a rigged election. They're going to bring it to the Supreme Court. I guarantee you. And they're not going to give up because, again, and it's true for both sides, but just for clarity, I'll say Clinton supporters hate Donald Trump. And they can't fathom the idea that a majority of the people in the country that they live in would support that guy that they hate so badly. And they will not let that go without a fight. In 10 days, the left is going to flip out. Get ready for that. Now, if I can just give a warning from California. Got a minute or two here. So California, in particular, is sprinting towards completely fraudulent. No, that's not the right word. Completely farcical elections. Completely farcical. Like, won't even be worth having them anymore. I'm not even kidding. And this movement, I share this because this uh, this is probably... Definitely 20 years, but probably 12 years before we get to the point I'm talking about here in California. And we're a little crystal ball for the rest of the country. So this is coming to a city near you, state near you soon. Here's why. In California, we are moving at the same time towards automatic voter registration and only mail-in voting. Okay. And they experimented with only mail-in voting a couple, was it two years ago? I think it was two years ago, maybe two, uh, here in San Diego. Do you remember Bob Filner? Does that name ring a bell? Well, we, we kicked our mayor out of office here in San Diego, and we had to have a special election. And they, they I don't remember if they did or not. I'm sorry. I forget. Uh, but they talked a lot about, is, is we're going to do this mail, this mail-in only? I think they did. Whatever. Point is, we're moving in this direction. Now, what's wrong with that? It's usually about 30 to 40% of people of, of eligible voters actually vote. So let's just say 50%. Okay, so 50% of the people in a state actually vote. I used to live uh, in a beach community where the, all the, everything was really old and the mailboxes were just boxes. Yeah, they weren't locked or anything. So imagine every person over 18 gets a ballot. 
every person's automatically registered. Every person over 18 gets a ballot and they're mailed. And it's the only way you can vote is by mail. So every single person over 18 gets a ballot on the exact same day. What's going to happen is someone is going to walk down the street. Yoink, 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 yoink. Take all the ballots. Now, only half the people vote. The people who normally vote are going to say, whoa, 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 where's my ballot? And they're going to call the election office. They're going to have that ballot canceled. They're going to get another one mailed to them. But the other 50% of people who don't vote, and they don't care. They don't even know their ballot was taken. Like, what's a, what's a ballot? I don't, voting, I've never voted. I don't care. I don't like politics. I don't want to vote. I never voted. Voting, it's stupid. Whatever. So they're not going to know that their ballot was stolen. They're not even going to care. They're going to, so they're not going to call the county election board and have a new ballot mailed out. So whoever yoinked that ballot is going to vote on their behalf, canceling out a legitimate vote. That is what is happening. It's going to happen here in California. Like I probably, probably 12 more years. So three more elections is when we'll have that. Definitely 20 years. And this happens right now, by the way, this happens now because a lot of our voters in California are mail-in ballots. I forget the number. It's, I think it's above 50%. It might be 70%. I forget, but it's a lot. But when you add automatic registration on top of that, and oh, that's going to be pitched beautifully. That's going to be pitched as, oh, we want as many people as possible to participate in democracy. And everyone's going to be like, that sounds great. So when they have automatic registration and only mail-in ballots, forget it. Farcical. It'll be total farce. Voting results. The person who wins is only going to be the, the person who has volunteers who can steal the most ballots out of unsuspecting people's mailboxes. It, it'll be who can steal the most ballots out of non-voters' mailboxes. That is who will win every election. And again, it happens now, but it's rare because the people who get mail-in ballots, are they know it. They, they, they signed up to get mail-in ballots. So when, when that doesn't show up, they cancel. they call up, they cancel the previous vote or whoever stole it. And then, and then they get to vote again. But if everyone gets a ballot automatically, even people who don't care, then it's just game on. See the difference there? See how those two things coming together at the same time? So that's what's happening in California soon. And um, I, I, <laughs> what do you do that? So make sure it doesn't happen in your state. one 888 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Someone said, uh, Slater, think bigger. Voting and registration via smartphone app. Um, yes. Here's why I think from people who, who uh, want what I was explaining in the last segment, uh, just voter fraud to be rampant. They want farcical elections. Um, I think they'll go with mail because that's easier. Uh, a vo- I don't think people trust technology enough, especially older people. So I think it'll be harder to convince people to actually vote that way. And, and there'll be calls of um, voter suppression and stuff like that. But mail, like everyone gets mail. That's, that's easy to understand, easy to fathom. So I, I don't know. Y- yes, but uh, we'll see. But I think certainly, I, because I, it's happening, California is the mail-in balance. But yeah, as time goes on, maybe voter. But then it's, uh, with no paper trail, again, it's gosh, so easy. So easy to change the results of these. It's crazy. 
So apparently there are schools across the country that are closing on election day because a lot of schools uh, may be polling places and the schools are concerned about violence breaking out at the polling place. Now, this is really interesting because headlines will talk about this and the story will we'll write about it, but they never say violence from whom. That's, that's, that's important. Who, who do they think is going to be violent? I mean, are they talking about violence like the North Carolina GOP headquarters that were firebombed a week or so ago? Which you know if it was a Democratic headquarters, the president would be talking about it. Uh, violence like the guy who destroyed with the pickaxe Trump's star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame the other day. Or violence like the protesters at Trump rallies who chased Trump supporters around, threw eggs at a woman's face when she was running for cover from a mob. Or how about the violence of surrounding Trump supporters when they're in their cars and smashing on their windows trying to break in. Or the violence instigated by the Democratic activist group that was caught on camera that said we're starting anarchy here. Is that the violence they're talking about? I get so frustrated at this. You know, Milo Yiannopoulos had another speech that was canceled at a college campus. This happens like every week or so. The other day it was University of Maryland. And, and they cancel these speeches now. This is the new way they silence conservative speakers. Is they say uh, the security fees are too high. <laughs> right? So, so Milo or Ben Shapiro, whoever, goes to a college campus. And, and the campus says, we can't host you because the security fees are too high. It's too expensive to hire security. And this only happens to conservative speakers. This is the new way they silence freedom of speech. And it's hilarious because the school says, you know, this conservative speaker might bring a risk of violence to campus. And, and they, don't, they don't go on. They don't explain. Like, because the next obvious question is violence by whom? And the answer is us. Right? <laughs> violence by by Democrats, violence by liberals, violence by progressives. It's not the speaker who's violent or his supporters who are violent ever. It's the progressives who are violent. It's the people who say we need safe spaces who are violent to the speaker whom they disagree with. How bizarre. So when they say there'll be violence on voting day and the day after, they never say from whom. It won't be Trump supporters, I guarantee you. If Trump loses, they'll be depressed. But if Hillary supporters, if Hillary loses, Hillary supporters are going to be violent. Then we'll see in a few days, won't we? Slater Radio on Twitter coming up. I want to talk about Trump's speech at Gettysburg. He just needs to do this for the next 10 days. Talk about it next. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Later in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater, Slater's America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Can you believe we have 10 days left to go here? Um, this analysis here is uh, by the hour becoming less and less relevant, but I think it still is because next week, obviously, it's going to be pretty important. I would say the most important week. Of the entire campaign. So three months ago, almost, uh, actually, probably three months ago today, uh, I, I did a segment, you might remember, um, I, it was because there were 100 days left until the election. So 
three months ago. It's 90 days. We have 10 days left, probably 100 days ago. And I gave my suggestion on what Trump needs to do. And the general, excuse me, sneeze. The general theme is that he needs to, he needed to win the media cycle every day. Now, there's a couple ways to do that. And I suggested that he needs to win the media cycle every day with a new policy. So come up with a hundred policies, a hundred things you're going to do. And every morning, like a reality TV show, unveil this policy, whether it's with a a mini documentary, I don't know, something with a flash and describe each policy quickly and powerfully. So if you have a new immigration policy, be specific. Don't, don't make it a comprehensive immigration form. Be like one specific thing you're going to do with immigration. So um, we're going to deport illegal immigrant gang members, okay? Criminal illegal immigrants, okay? Simple. Now you have parents whose kids were killed by illegal immigrant gang members. You have them at your speech. You talk to them. You present them. You share their stories. Let's say there's a city uh, a charter, uh, excuse me, a, a policy about charter schools or something in the inner city. Perfect. You go to Philadelphia or wherever and you give a speech and you have teachers at city schools who complain about how violent, how dangerous it is to go to their schools. And then you have charter school teachers who talk about how wonderful it is at their schools, whatever it is. I don't know, but make each one a show and own the media cycle every single day. Why is this important? Because if you do that, Hillary and the media have to constantly react to each thing you bring up. So you do it every day at 8 a.m. or whatever so that the rest of the day, every TV show reacts to what you said. And then Hillary will have to react because the media is going to go back and question her. Well, what do you think about what Trump's, Trump's policy on this? And every day you just, every day, and doesn't even, you're saying, well, Slater, what if there's one that uh, maybe would uh, be talked about for three days? Nope. You come back the next day with another one. You come back every single day for 100 days. And if Hillary comes at you with dirt, you say, listen, I'm sorry, we don't have time to comment on that. We're talking about some real issues here. Like this morning, Donald Trump proposed this. Two days ago, he proposed this, right? You focus on the issue of the moment. And listen, I know policy is boring, but Trump and his team, their job should have been to find a way to make policy must-see TV. And I think you do that by being specific and you put on a show. Now, I said that 100 days out. The other day, was it last weekend maybe? Trump gave a speech in Gettysburg where he outlined his 100-day action plan when he wins. So if Trump, I'd say, if he took these points and announced one a day for the last 100 days, then it would have been a very different election. Now, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt here because I think he understands what I'm trying to explain here. I think he realizes, which is true, that the independent voters, which is who he's actually reaching for, you have the 40% Clinton diehards, 40% Trump diehards, the 20% of people who are in the middle, fickle, undecided, etc. He knows that they don't make up their minds till the last minute. And they go back and forth, right? So that's when the polls, you know, when, when something good happens for Trump, then those people are like, yeah, Trump. And then three days later, something bad happens to Trump, and they ask the same type of people, and they're like, no, no Trump, Hillary, definitely Hillary. And they, they're so fickle, they go back and forth. It's the same people. So I think Trump is playing the final kick card. No doubt about it, right? If you watched the Olympics, the longer uh, track races, right, the mile or whatever, there was always one guy on the track 
who would run to the back of the pack. And then on the last lap or the final turn, he had the strongest kick out of anyone. And he'd win. Usually the guy with the kick would win. Trump's playing the kick card, knowing that the undecided voters don't decide until the very last minute. Now, I think they do decide. I think the undecided voters have already decided. They just haven't come to terms with saying it out loud. And they like they feel a little special. They feel important. You know, well, I'm an undecided voter, and they 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 like they like playing that role. But they've really decided already, and I think they've decided Trump. But we'll see that in a few days. Anyway, back to his Gettysburg speech. He called it what the contract with the American voter, something like that. Now, I'm not saying I agree with each of these things. That's not my point here. I'm commenting more on the specificness of each, and just imagine as I as I rattle some of these off. What this could have looked like if he unveiled one a day for 100 days. And what the, what the media cycle would have looked like that day. And what Hillary could, she would have had to react to every single thing. She could never own the cycle herself. She'd always be reacting. Think of it like the, you know, when your favorite football team's playing. And they're ahead by six points. And the other team has the ball on the 20. And they're driving down for the win with two minutes left. And your favorite football team maybe kept them to zero points the whole game. But then they play this prevent defense. And the team just drives down the field, scores the game, winning touchdown, your team loses. And it's like, what are you doing? Guys, they, they didn't score any points the whole game. And now you do this prevent defense and they march down the field and score and win. What, 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 what? <laughs> so Hillary would always have to play the prevent defense because Trump would be on the offense every single day. So here's what he said in Gettysburg. First, I would propose a, Nash, excuse me, a constitutional amendment to impose term limits on all members of Congress. Second, a hiring freeze on all federal employees to reduce federal workforce through attrition, exempting military and public safety and public health. Third, a requirement that for every new federal regulation, two existing regulations must be eliminated. Fourth, a five-year ban on White House and congressional officials becoming lobbyists after they leave government service. Fifth, a lifetime ban on White House officials lobbying on behalf of government, a foreign government. And sixth, the complete ban on foreign lobbyists raising money for American elections. So think about that. That's a week. (laughs) That's a week's worth of coverage right there. Monday, constitutional amendment. Tuesday, hiring freeze. Every single day, you do this for a while, and the media is going to be like, what are we doing tomorrow? What's Trump going to talk about tomorrow? Who's he going to have with him? Where's it going to be? Keep them guessing and make it a show. He goes on. Um. I will announce my intention to renegotiate NAFTA or withdrawal from the deal under Article 2205. Second, I will announce our withdrawal from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Third, I will direct my Secretary of the Treasury to label China a currency manipulator. Fourth, I will direct the Secretary of Commerce to identify all foreign trading abuses that unfairly impact American workers and direct them to use every tool under American and international law to end those abuses immediately. Fifth, I will lift restrictions on the production of $50 trillion worth of job-producing energy reserves. Sixth, lift the Obama-Clinton roadblocks that allow vital energy infrastructure projects like the Keystone Pipeline to move forward. And sixth, cancel billions in payments to UN climate change programs and use the money to fix America's water and environmental infrastructure. So you have it another week. So Monday was the first thing. Uh, I will announce my intention to renegotiate NAFTA. Okay. Perfect. Monday, you go to the old uh, uh, I don't know, Oreo factory that has since moved to Mexico, right? Remember Trump made a big deal about Oreos moving to Mexico? Perfect. So you go to the old Oreo factory and you have uh, on stage all the employees who were laid off at the factory. 
when they moved to Mexico. And there you talk about getting on an after. There's your Monday. The whole rest of the day, everyone in the media and Hillary is going to have to react to that. Tuesday. Uh, it's Tuesday is second. I will announce our withdrawal from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Oh, this is good. So Tuesday, you go to, uh, let's go to um, uh, Peoria, Illinois. Where not that where Caterpillar? That's where Caterpillar's headquarters. So you go there. And you have a bunch of people who work at a factory there. And you say, these people don't want the Trans-Pacific Partnership because then Caterpillar is going to move to China. And we want to keep these jobs here in America, something like that, whatever. You get the idea. Now, quick disclaimer here. I'm a big free trade guy, and I disagree with Trump on these issues, but I'm talking about how to run a campaign that captivates the country and the media and keeps the spotlight on you. And you got to make every single day a TV show. So uh, let's go. Let's see what day was this. This is uh, fifth. Oh, yeah, Friday. No, let's do Saturday. Sixth, the Obama-Clinton roadblocks that allow vital energy infrastructure projects like the Keystone Pipeline. I will allow those to move forward. So that's your Saturday messaging. Maybe you skip Saturday, but you know what I mean. So there you go to one of the Keystone Pipeline sites. Okay. And uh, you say, we need this to, to go on. Or you go to where there currently is a pipeline and look, say, like, oh, look, there's no big deal. All the environmentalists are freaking out over nothing. And, uh, oh, let's turn the camera over here. And here are hundreds of pipe fitters and welders and truck drivers and oil workers who have been out of business for the last few years because of Clinton and Obama's policies on energy. Boom, done. End of show. The media, Hillary, reacts. I mean, he goes on. This is all in Gettysburg. The other day, last week, he said, I'll cancel every unconstitutional executive action memorandum and order issued by President Obama. Get rid of all of them. He'll select uh, someone to replace Justice Scalia. He'll cancel all federal fundings to sanctuary cities. Remove all 2 million criminal legal immigrants. And then I talked about vetting for uh, refugees. Where has this stuff been? And then he went off from there and he talked about 10 acts that he wants to pass in the first 100 days. He's got 10 days, baby. 10 days to bring that stuff to the American people. Can he do it in a captivating way that can get past the media gatekeepers? And here's the question. When Trump gave his Gettysburg speech the other day, the Wall Street Journal wrote an article about it. And the headline was Trump touts plan. By the way, only Republicans tout things in headlines. Uh, Democrats proclaim, declare, explain, describe. Republicans tout. Trump touts plan for first hundred days of presidency. Good. Subheadline, the Republican presidential candidate also promises to sue women who have accused him of making unwanted sexual advances. <laughs> okay, I had to throw that in there, Wall Street Journal, didn't you? So he's got to find a way in the next 10 days to get past the gatekeepers and get this message out here. I think he's been banking on his final kick. See if he can pull it off. one 888 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater. So this actually ties into my last point. Of, of Trump, I'm, I'm banking on the fact that he believes in the last kick theory, right? That you watch the Olympics, you watch the people run a mile. 
they they're sort of running with the pack, and the guy who's running in the back on the last turn does this crazy kick and and wins. And it's almost always the guy with the best kick that wins. And and I think maybe that's what Trump is doing. And that's the only way I can justify because he's smarter than this. Why he would leave so much stuff out until now? I guess some people assume he's stupid. I don't assume that. I assume he's smart like a fox. Right? There's a reason. So I don't know. Maybe jokes on me, but I think of why he hasn't emphasized his business stuff yet, right? Like his businessman persona. Well, let me say one more thing. <clears throat> Sorry. Let me go back. I think at the end of the day, after whatever it's been, 18 months of nonsense, which everyone's sick of, uh, you heard the speech that I gave last week uh, when I said, hey, who here has been following the election? And pretty much every hand went up. And then I said, who here is sick of the election? And, and every hand went up, right? Everyone's sick of it. Everyone's burnout. But I really think when most of the undecideds go into the polls, go into the voting booth, they're not going to remember I don't even like this this scandal or that scandal or the other scandal or this other thing Trump said or Trump did or Trump. They're not going to remember that stuff. I think they're going to go back to the very basics and they're going to go back to the reasons that most people were excited that Trump threw his hat in the ring at the very beginning. Right. Go back to the go back to 18 months ago or whenever Trump said he was going to run. And most people were excited about it. Why? Businessman. Outsider. Says it like it is. A celebrity, <laughs> right? These are the reasons people are going to vote for him at the end of the day. So in the beginning, people were excited for those reasons. And at the very last day on voting day, that's why people will be excited. Everything else in between is meaningless. That's what he's banking on. That being said, I don't know why he hasn't emphasized more of his businessman characteristics. And the empire that he's built. Romney didn't do it. He didn't talk about what a great businessman he was because he's super humble and... His business is harder for people to understand. Like Bain Capital, like no one really gets that. Trump builds giant skyscrapers. <laughs> That's pretty easy to understand. Why is he not talking about it more? There was a point in the last debate when the economy came up and, and Hillary gave the first answer and she went into this just, just Marxist slop. And Trump had the perfect chance to hit a grand slam with a rebuttal. And instead, he went back to the previous question talking about NATO, which no one cares about. And he totally whiffed. He didn't even whiff. He didn't even swing. It was nothing. He went back to a question that no one, no one cares. And it's so easily could have been like, people, all she does is talk. She's never hired anyone in her life. I've hired tens of thousands of people. I build giant buildings. Who do you think is going to do better with the economy? Like, in New York City alone, alone, I own Trump International Hotel and Tower, Trump Tower, Trump World Park, Trump Palace, Trump Place, 610 Park Avenue, Trump Park Avenue, Trump Park, Trump Park East, Trump Plaza, Trump Soho, 40 Wall Street, and 1290 Avenue of the Americas. That's in New York City alone. What are, what are, what are you going to listen to her about the economy? I also happen to own the tallest building in Las Vegas right down the street from where we are right now. I own residential buildings in Turkey and Toronto and Philippines and Mumbai and Brazil. I own dozens of hotels and golf courses all around the world. What are we talking about here? Why, 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 why would you're going to believe her? She's going to, she's going to lecture you about how the economy works. I'm like, well, he totally whipped. It was crazy. Now, listen, the list of buildings he owns and runs and all the rest, love him or hate him. That's impressive. So a pretty simple line, Hillary, you've never created a job. I build skyscrapers. 
I don't know why he doesn't talk more about that. He always used to. We played uh, a couple weeks ago the, the opening intro to the first episode of The Apprentice, whatever, 12 years ago. And uh, in it, well, we played it last time because we played it after uh, his 1995 tax returns were released or whatever, where he lost a billion dollars. And Hillary was like, oh, I lost a billion dollars. And everyone talked to, acted as if that was like breaking news. And we played the intro to The Apprentice where he goes, 12 years ago, I lost a billion dollars or whatever. Uh, it's like, okay, that not a surprise. But then after that, he goes, but I've come out of it. Trump's number one book is Art of the Deal. His second most popular book is Art of the Comeback, right? And then the rest of The Apprentice, he talks about the buildings he's built and the properties he owns and the companies he's created and all this. Why are you not doing that during the campaign? The best he's done was with his DC hotel. Under budget ahead of schedule, under budget ahead of schedule. Just say that over and over and over again for the next 10 days. I built this giant hotel that no one else wanted to do under budget and ahead of schedule. That's what he needs to do for 10 days and really increase that, uh, that prestige of being an outsider and a businessman. Cause people like that. People liked it 18 months ago and I think people will still like it today, but he hasn't done it yet. I don't know why. And it's easy too for, um, I don't know if I can explain this in a minute. It's frustrating to be a businessman running for office, any level, because people, businessmen and women have to operate in the real world and politicians just live in makeup fantasy land. So they can make up whatever they want about things they've done and, and people they've helped and schools they built and blah, 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 blah. They just make it all up and no one never checks them on it. But a businessman has to be super accountable to everything. That's why Carly Fiorina had such a tough time. Right? She had to operate in the real world. Politicians operate in fantasy land. Now, Trump could have done this, right? When he was called a hypocrite for making his t- uh, ties in China. He could have said, listen, I don't want to make my ties in China. But if I make them in China, I can sell them for $40 so people could afford them. If I make them at the one tie manufacturing place left in America, then they would be $240 and no one would afford them. This is why I'm running for president. I'm going to lower taxes on businesses. I'm going to decrease the cost of running a business. I'm going to eliminate EPA regulations, which make everything, including tie manufacturing, more expensive. So that way I'll be making ties here and everyone will be making ties here instead of in China. That's why I'm running. To make America more business friendly. I'm a businessman. I get it. She doesn't. Where's that been? Can he do it in the next 10 days? Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Here's what I mean by uh, real world and fantasy land. So in the debate, Hillary criticized Trump for using Chinese steel in one of his buildings. I don't know what she was exactly referring to, but let's just go with it. Perfect example of this problem. Trump is in the business of building a skyscraper. Everyone else building buildings uses Chinese steel. Not everyone, but you know what I mean? You got to compete. So Trump's got to use the Chinese steel. Otherwise, 
maybe the feasibility of the project wouldn't happen. Now, the question is, why would someone use Chinese steel over American steel? Well, it's cheaper. Why? Why? What makes making steel in America so expensive that the Chinese steel is, is, uh, is, is what people choose to use? Well, this is where the government gets involved and screws it up. I guarantee you there's many different government regulations that make American steel so expensive that make it so people even consider buying Chinese steel. But Trump had to do what he had to do. He bought the Chinese steel to build the building. Otherwise, it would be too expensive to build and people wouldn't rent it or whatever. So he has to operate, and businessmen have to operate in the world created by politicians. Politicians get to operate in the fantasy land that they imagine. So Hillary hits Trump for using Chinese steel, and then her next sentence is, I was involved in the raid to kill Osama bin Laden. It's like, well... And, and I helped children in inner city schools and, and I helped these people and then I'm fighting for these people and I was involved in this and that. And then she just looks like a saint, even though she had nothing to do with any of those things. And she didn't help anyone. And no one's lives improved. And actually she hurt people in all of her grandstanding in all of her years. But she gets to say how wonderful she's been to everyone because she operates in fantasy land. Businessmen operate in the real world. That's a major reason why business people don't often run for office. We have someone who's, uh, she's a mayor of a, a small town here in San Diego, Encinitas, and she's running for county supervisor. And the guy who she's running against is slamming her because of her business. She runs like a physical therapy business. Slamming her for her business, this, that, and the other, right? And they just make stuff up. That's why businessmen don't want to run because it hurts their business too. It hurts their livelihood when they just want to do the right thing. And we need more business people to run for office because they operate in the real world. We need more real world thinking. Let me give an example of this real world thinking and action. So a couple weeks ago, Samsung announced that they are uh, discontinuing their Galaxy Note 7, permanently discontinuing it. This is an amazing lesson in the power of the free market. Samsung is taking a massive hit for this. Their phone's exploding. Their stocks have dropped. Potential losses for Samsung this quarter, $2.8 billion. That's the entire operating profit of the mobile division every quarter. Gone. So they've made zero, and they've lost money this quarter. And nothing I've read uh, about their losses include the money lost um, you know, developing the product, which is in the billions. And there's no way to even quantify the hit to the brand itself, right? The next Samsung phone that comes out, people many people aren't going to buy it because they think it's going to explode too. So it's a huge hit for the brand that you can't even quantify. Devastating for the company and a company that really will only survive because it's such a big name and it's been such a big name for a long time. But here's the deal. In a capitalist system, the company, the business must serve you every time. They must serve you always, every time. If they make a faulty product, in this case, a faulty cell phone, they're not going to make any money. If they do it twice, then they're going to completely go out of business for it. Government, they never serve you. It's backwards. The less they serve you, the, the, the worse they serve you, the more money they get. Now, the CEO of Samsung, this operating division, was fired. Okay, so he oversaw the development of this phone. He gets fired for it because it went, it went poorly. That's the real world. 
Now, here's a story from government land. Evan Bayh, he was a senator from Indiana. He left in 2011. He was the governor of Indiana before that. He left the Senate in 2011. He's actually running again. But in the five years since he's been in the Senate, he earned $40 million. $40 million. What? How? $40 million bucks. You make $170,000 a year in the Senate. That's your salary, $170,000 a year. And in the five years after that, he earned $40 million? This is why Donald Trump in his speech in Gettysburg last week said he wants a five-year ban on anyone going from the White House or Congress to working for lobbying firms. Five-year ban to prevent this. This is why people hate D.C. (laughs) This is why D.C. needs to be blown up from the inside and rebuilt. It's completely out of control. This lobbying, this cronyism has got to stop. Evan Bayh doesn't bring value. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't have any skills. He doesn't create anything. He doesn't build anything. He doesn't invent anything. He's not adding jobs. He's not doing anything of real value. It's just cronyism. And you know Hillary's not going to do anything about this other than increase it. And she's worse than anyone with her Clinton Foundation. She'll take cronyism to a whole new level. We've told the story before of the five defense companies that have donated to the Clinton Foundation. And then 17 of the 20 countries that have donated have seen massive increases in the number of arms sold to them since she was Secretary of State. It's a massive pay-to-play scheme where she gets rich. And now there's 100% proof. 100% proof. Anyone who wants to see it knows it. So there's no chance she's going to fix it. I'm going to find the clip here during the break. It was a flip. Maybe you can look for it. It was the other day, maybe two days ago. Maybe it was yesterday. Um, Chris Matthews on MSNBC saying... Two Clinton supporters, listen, this is what you get with her. This is how it's always been with the Clintons. The Lincoln bedroom, they would have people coming in and out of the Lincoln bedroom all the time and, and charge them by the hour. They were always, they, this is what they do. And then they start the Clinton Foundation and they do more of this stuff, super corrupt stuff. So when you, if you vote for Hillary, you're going to get more of this. Just no, you're going to get more of this. That was Chris Matthews. On MSNBC, saying this is the what you get with Hillary. <laughs> so there's no chance she's going to fix it. 100% chance it's going to get worse. Now let's take Donald Trump. What are the chances that he fixes this cronyism and corruption in D.C.? Let's just say 50-50. We'll just go with that. You can say it's an 80% chance. You can say it's a 10% chance. We'll go with 50-50. But even if it is 10%, that's infinitely more likely that he'll fix it than Hillary will. Because there's no chance she will. Reality land, fantasy land. DC's fantasy land. We need a dose of reality in it. 1-888-900-3393. See if I can find that clip during the break here. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Reporter. I'm, I'll make a judge, but every time I watch the politician engage in a certain pattern of behavior, go to the White House, 
They continue to engage in that pattern afterwards. People don't change because we swear them into the White House. They become that person big time. And, and the Clintons were raising money like this hand over hand back in, hand over fist back in 1996 using, we call it Motel 6. They were bringing, pouring them in, pulling them in by, by train loads of contributors and then letting them sit in the Lincoln bedroom for a while and charge them by the hour. This is what they did before. This is what they did. You can still vote for Hillary Clinton, but remember, you're getting this as part of the package because that's been their pattern. Beth Fui, thank you. Part of the next generation of talk radio, this is Mike Slater. Bill O'Reilly there on Fox News. Oh, no, that's Chris Matthews on MSNBC. Uh, I want to change tone here for a second. I'll come back in the next hour. We'll talk more politics here. Uh, but I got a few minutes. I want to share this message real quick. I got an old friend in Tennessee. His name's uh, Colonel Jim Harding. He is one of the top 20 most decorated service members in American history. And when he lived in Tennessee, we, we would talk a lot. And he would share incredible stories of flying in Vietnam mostly. And they all had a very general theme. There was a downed pilot somewhere, Laos, Vietnam, wherever. And as quickly as they could, they all went to rescue him. He led a bunch of search and rescue missions. And one of them, he crashed. And he had to survive a few days in the jungle until he could get someplace uh, someplace safe and then other people could rescue him. And there are a lot of different details in each story. Obviously, everything was a little bit different, but the general theme was the same. Never leave a man behind. No matter what. And I remember I even asked him, I pushed him on, and I said, Colonel, you got one man down. You got one soldier. You're going to risk the lives of 10 other guys to rescue one? Yes. Every time. Always. No question. No doubt. No hesitation. Yes. Why? Because the system won't work. If you don't, no one will fight. No one will serve. If in the back of their minds, they know that they're going to be forgotten or betrayed. You're not going to go do the unthinkable. You're not going to go run into gunfire. Knowing that if you get stuck or whatever, no one's going to rescue you. Then you're dead to them. You're dead to us. You're dead to your country. It's never going to happen. It can't work. Now, we can leave people behind like in Benghazi. And I'm not just talking about the SEALs and the contractors. I'm talking about the CIA people. No one ever realizes this. There are like 50 CIA guys and men and women inside the compound who would all be dead if it weren't for the SEALs on the roof. So now we hear about four Americans killed in Benghazi. It easily could have been 54. You can also betray promises. Like with the story about the reenlistment bonus from the other day. I don't know if this story made national news as much as it should have. It was a big story here in California because it mostly had to do with the California National Guard. Well, here's just one example. Master Sergeant Bill McLean, he joined the Army in 1979, and then he ended up with the National Guard. Born on a U.S. military base in Germany, his dad served in Vietnam, his grandfather in World War II. It's in his blood. He served in Afghanistan in 2002. Four years later, when his reenlistment contract was expiring, he was told that if he signed up for another six years, he would get a $30,000 bonus. And he said, whoa, $30,000? No, no, it's, it's, I, think, I think I only get a $15,000 bonus. But he signed up anyway. 
And then he received two payments for $7,500. $15,000, just like he thought. And he didn't think any more about it. He went to Iraq. When he was deployed, he got another $15,000 bonus check. They thought, huh, they're all right. $30,000. While he was in Iraq, his vehicle ran over a roadside bomb. Shrapnel tore through the armored plating of the vehicle, destroyed his jaw, blew out all of his teeth. His jaw became infected, needed complete reconstructive surgery. Four years later, four years later, he received a letter in the mail saying he needed to give the $30,000 bonus back, plus interest. The guard said because he served more than 20 years, he wasn't eligible for a re-enlistment bonus. This was 10 years. No more than that. It was 2002. 14, no, no, I'm sorry, take it back. It was 14 years ago. 10 years. 10 years after he signed the re-enlistment, he got a letter saying he wasn't eligible for it and he had to give it all back plus interest. He fought it, fought it, fought it. Lost. He said, fine. Started sending them $100 checks every month. And then he got a letter from a customer care representative, an unsigned letter that said he needed to repay the entire debt immediately or else they were going to garnish his wages, put a lien on him. So his wife writes checks every month, $100. In the memo, she writes blood money. And on the envelope, she writes shame on you. And every month, the Pentagon cashes each check. Did you hear this story this week? It's been going on for years. About 10,000 guards members. Guards, men and women, they, they sign up for re-enlistment. And 10 years later, they're finding out that they weren't really eligible for that and they got to give all the money back plus interest. If that's not the most shameful betrayal you've ever heard in your entire life, here's what's bad about this. It's not only betraying the soldiers, which, again, our military can't function if we act like this. I mean, talking about leaving a man behind. Our military can't function when in the back of our service members' brains they think that years from now the United States government, which who they fight on in the name of, right, are going to come back and stick it to them like this. That's insane. But also, you're not going to receive support from home that our soldiers need if our military families are just waiting to be betrayed by the military. Ash Carter Defense Secretary said he's going to suspend the program and he's going to give all the money back that's been taken from people because they screwed up. Insane. Now, before you get too excited about that, it looks like that's not going to be true for everyone. It looks like not everyone's going to be getting their bonuses back. But even if they did, people aren't going to get the years back. They're not going to get the years back. They're not going to get the tears back. They're not going to get maybe having to move or take a second job in order to pay back the military. They're not going to get that back. That's betrayal. It can happen in a lot of ways. And this is one of the worst I've seen. We need a major change in D.C. A major, major change. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Later in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater for Saturdays. America's the greatest country in the world. Appreciate you being here. Happy Saturday. So we're 10 days away right now. Um, I want to kind of take a different tone for the next couple segments here. See how it goes. Because who knows what's going to happen in these next 10 days. And what are we going to do the day after? No matter what happens. So, Screw Tape Letters. Awesome book. You have to read it. By C.S. Lewis. You have an adult demon. Who is, uh, his name's uh, Screwtape. Who is writing letters to his nephew. Uh, his little nephew, uh, Wormwood. Who is a little demon. On, and the goal is, is, is the adult, Screwtape, is teaching his nephew on how to keep a human living in sin. Does that make sense? It's kind of a complicated concept even when I'm reading and I'm like, wait, who, who's... Because it's backwards, right? So it's not about how to live a good life. It's, it's the opposite. It's, it's Screwtape, a demon, teaching a little demon on how to keep the patient, you, human, living in sin. It's awesome. So in letter 15, Screwtape explains to his nephew that there are four parts of time, four areas of time. You have the past, present, the future, and eternal. And he's telling the little demon, at all costs, you have to keep man from thinking about the eternal. Do not let him think about things that are eternal, because then he'll be thinking about God, and we don't want that as demons. Also, don't let him live in the moment. Don't let him live in the present because the present is where people live in a state of gratitude. And we don't want them to be grateful. And it's in the present where time touches eternity. So, instead, you got to keep people thinking about the past and the future. Now, the past is okay, but what you really need to do from the perspective of a demon is keep people thinking about the future because the future is unknown, it's scary. And future is where all the vices are. That's where all the sins live. Gratitude and love is in the present. It's in the right now. But in the future is fear, greed, lust, ambition. All those things look ahead. Think about it. Let's just take lust, right? If you're committing a sin in that regard, it's the build up to it. That's the exciting part. But then the moment when you sin... That's not as exciting. It's always the build-up. It's the anticipation. It's the futureness of the sin that is the exciting thing. So Screwtape says we want we want a whole race perpetually in pursuit of the rainbow's end. Never honest, nor kind, nor happy now. Why do I bring this up? We had a debate watching party at my uh, local studio here in San Diego. For the last debate, for all the debates, but the last one. And somehow in our focus group afterwards, 
the question about the, Amer- the American dream came up. And a vast majority of the 60 people there fervently said the American dream is dead. Now, I don't think that's true, but I've always had trouble even defining the American dream, let alone giving a status report on it. So what do I know? This will be a very unfulfilling and incomplete segment, just so you know. Because I can't tell you everything that is true. I can just tell you things that I know at this moment. I do know that no one has ever lived in a more prosperous time in human history than us right now. Even the poorest people in America. That is good. I I, I know that the principles of liberty have never been more clearly defined and have never been more accessible than today. And it's because of our founding fathers. They took millennia of experience and eternal principles and condensed them not only into a set of principles, which is very helpful, the Declaration of Independence, but also to a form of government. Now, we're not living it, but it's good because it's there. It's written down and never need be. It can be replicated. Now, we've strayed too far away from it. It probably won't be replicated by us in our lifetime. But sometime again by someone, they'll be able to look at what our founding fathers created and do it again. That's good. I think that's comforting because the answers are in front of us. They're right in front of us. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. There's nothing we're missing. Does this make sense? There's no, there's no uh, further truth to be known. It's right here. We got it. We know the answers. We've just strayed from it. I also know that we've been through way, 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 way worse times than we're living now. Today is hard and it feels hard. It seems hard because it's a, it's kind of a slow grind. It's a slow wearing, unfulfilling grind. You know, the wars and plagues, they're sharper and more painful, but quicker. Today, it's a slow draining hopelessness that is just wearing. And I think that's where people get discouraged. I don't want to ramble. Here's my point. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Don't give up. It may seem like the economy will never recover. Seems like, well, it doesn't say it is. Politics are a joke. It seems like saving money is worthless because inflation is just going to eat it up. And why even bother voting or participating because the media is going to cancel your influence and nothing you do is ever going to make a difference anyway. I beg of you not to give up. Western civilization has withstood falls of empires and black deaths and world wars and Marxism and horrible things. And we can survive whatever's facing us today as well. It won't be easy. It won't be pretty. It won't be luxurious. It won't be comfortable. But you have to decide right now to never give up. This may sound weird, but I, I'm inspired by stories of people living in internment camps who never give up. They never give up. They keep living, they keep breathing, they keep praying, and in some cases they keep playing. I think of the story, you know, you've seen the movie uh, Chariots of Fire, Eric Little. The, the, the movie is about his life in the Olympics. But the part after the Olympics is way more impressive and way more interesting and exciting. 
He ended up living in an internment camp in China for many years and thrived, found joy in a, in a prison camp. What? How's that possible? And by, by he would play. Once people figured out who he was, he would um, they would have races. They would play games in an internment camp. How's that possible? Well, to go back to screw tape, it's because Eric Little was focused on the eternal. And if you're focused on the eternal, then you live in the moment. When you live in the moment, you live in a state of gratitude. He didn't live in the past. He didn't live in the future. He lived in the moment. He focused on the eternal. That's it. That's how he found his joy. That's the way to find joy. So if you feel dejected, if you feel rejected, if you feel exhausted, I encourage you to find something eternal to invest your time in. You'll feel better. Read Ecclesiastes. It's all there. But on earth, don't give up. Glenn had a good point the other day. He said, because conservatives have, have been so discouraged last couple of years, that they, they tends to come across as hopelessness. And he was speaking specifically about millennials and how millennials want to be hopeful. We all do. Everyone wants to grab onto a hopeful message. It seems like it's easier to grab onto a message of fear and anger, but it's not. It's actually easier to grab onto a message of hope because we crave it. We're afraid of fear. We're afraid of anger. We crave hope. But conservatives haven't been providing that like maybe we used to. But we got to inspire younger people and we have to inspire them with eternal truth. And I hope I can do a good job teaching Jack eternal truth. And teach him that when the failings of people or systems or governments keep you from seeing the fruits of your labor or keep you from whatever you think your American dream is or keep you from whatever you thought was going to happen from happening. Doesn't matter. Don't stop. Live the righteous life for its own sake. I'll stop here. I think there's way more good in American people than evil. There's way more good in America than evil. Way more. Not even close. I think we're just bored. I think we're bored, so we complain about foolishness. Get riled up at nothing. Get angry at nonsense. We fight causes that are insignificant. And then it's unfulfilling and we look around and we wonder what the heck's going on. When real difficulty strikes, then our real character will shine. And in a weird way, and please understand where this is coming from, I almost look forward to that day because at least then we will start to focus on what's real and eternal. And I guarantee you, if real hard times hit us like they surely will, like they surely have, it's weird. People will be more grateful then than they are now. Weird. One eight six six nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike 
Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, let me give you a more specific example of what I was talking about with the Board Society. So there was a story early last week. It was a bit of a throwaway story, but it was everywhere. The yoga pants controversy. Did you hear this? So this something like this comes around every couple months. There's a, a gay guy in Rhode Island, and that will come around in a second, who wrote a letter to the editor about yoga pants. And, and like, like a tiny, tiny, tiny newspaper who wrote an editor about, uh, wrote a letter about yoga, yoga pants and how not all women should wear them. Okay, like, wow, like breakthrough thought. And he said it was just meant to be a little lighthearted thing during the election. And the results was death threats and outrage on social media and ultimately hundreds of women hosting uh, 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 like a, like a parade in front of his house with women wearing yoga pants, a parade through the neighborhood to stick it to the man who says that not all women should wear yoga pants. It's like, now listen, I don't care about this at all. But if I may quote Jazz Shaw from Hot Air, he said, this is happening everywhere and on much larger scales than what this one gentleman has experienced. It's how we wound up with Occupy Wall Street, Black Lives Matter, the rest. So why should we be bothered by all the social media manufactured outrage? Perhaps this has nothing to do with yoga pants or phobias or any other, co- any other topics which seem to occupy our time. Here's one question we might want to be asking. Is life simply too easy these days? Seriously, how did that many people manage to find time in their schedules to gin up a social media campaign and organize a protest over this guy's letter to the editor? Is the country really in such great shape that we have nothing else to occupy our waking hours? Don't you people have jobs? Mark this down as entry number 3729 in my ongoing series about how the internet is ruining everything. When everything is a crisis, then nothing is a crisis. But there always seems to be time to flush somebody's life down the social media sewer drain. Isn't that interesting how Like the things that get people in a rage. I say every day, every day. People should be marching in the streets with pitchforks on fire because of our education system and how abysmal it is across the board. Now, every time I say that, I know on my local show, I get 10 emails from people saying, well, I'm a teacher and my classroom's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about how, for instance, one of our major uh, city high schools here in San Diego, only 30% of the families who live in the area choose to send their kid to that school. Only 30%. 70% of parents are like, nah, not sending my kids to Lincoln High, no chance. So the district was asked why enrollment is so low. Now the parents were asked and they said because safety, it's not safe to send your kids to that school. But the district was asked and they said, well... You know, listen, we've had some performance issues at that school because so many ninth graders enter Lincoln High with a second grade reading level. That was the district saying that. The district who happens to also be in charge of K through nine? Like making sure that a student is at a ninth grade reading level when they go into the ninth grade? And there's they're, they're, that the people in charge of that are saying, oh yeah, and not a lot of people go into that high school because, you know, uh, kids can't read and we're okay with this. We're okay with this. And we wonder why people join gangs and are unemployed and are on welfare and the rest. They can't read. And we're okay with this. We're okay. No one cares. No one cares. No, no marches, no protests here. Every day, parents should be on the streets. You know, we're fighting five wars. 
No one really cares. I'm glad at least people are getting a little outraged over what we talked about in the last hour with the military vets being forced to pay back their enlistment bonuses plus interest, right? That's uniting people at least there. But it's just a funny world we live in. The things that people get upset about. Some gay guy says overweight women shouldn't wear tight yoga pants and women parade through the streets. We have it too good. Way too good. Way, 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 way too good. And this is what I said before the last break. Like, if things were worse, we'd almost be more grateful for the things we have than, than we are now. I'll, I'll put it like this. No one in Syria is worried about yoga pants. You with me? You know what I mean by that? You can only be hyper offended at nothing when you're living in a fantasy land. And I just wish people would take that emotion and apply it to something real. I said during the last Black Lives Matter protest, um, by the way, where's that gone? Where did, also, where did all the protests, the, the like Hispanic protests against Trump go? Isn't that weird? It's almost as if they realize that they actually help Trump whenever they do that, which is what we said last time it was going on. Anyway, one of the last major Black Lives Matter protests, you may remember I said, that what really motivates this is everyone's desire to fight for something. Everyone has a desire. We all want to fight for something, but people are lacking things to fight for. So they make stuff up and millennials in particular, which I am one, we were taught in school that the the greatest saints who ever lived on earth were the civil rights fighters. So, Black Lives Matter protesters and millennials who are supportive of this, they want to be like Martin Luther King Jr. They want to be like the great civil rights fighters of our history. But there's nothing really to fight for like then, like back then. So they just make stuff up or exaggerate things and then pat themselves on the back for how righteous and wonderful they are. It's weird. It makes sense though if you think about it, right? Everyone wants to fight for something and, and I wish they would just take a second to look around and find something that's actually actually happening, something that's actually valuable uh, to fight for. Halloween's coming up, right? What are, what are people doing? Are, do people, Halloween's on Monday, right? So do people trick-or-treat on Monday? Or do you do it like the Saturday before? I don't know what the, uh, what the rule is on that, but Halloween's on Monday. And I'm sure there's going to be more protests at college campuses about offensive Halloween costumes. Remember when that happened last year at Yale? And my point was that the people at Yale who are spending their time actually doing something important whether it's studying or uh, working with some community group to help underprivileged kids or whatever, they're not worried about Halloween costume. The Halloween costume controversy of last year was only for students who are bored or who have dedicated their college careers to fake majors. There's no computer science or molecular engineering majors who are upset about Halloween costumes at Yale. I guarantee you. It doesn't happen. They're busy. They're working. They're studying. But the goofy made-up fake majors, they're the ones who are bored and looking for something new and concerned about Halloween costumes. Anyway, my point is focus on things that matter. Focus on things that matter. When you do, you'll have no time for things that don't. 1-888-900-3393. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Later. Slider Crusaders want to um, want to play a bit of poison here that you need to keep away from your kids and their brains. I get this from the second debate, I think, or is it the first debate? Oh goodness gracious! Uh, it's from a while ago, but we'll make it relevant to today. Clip eleven eighteen. And we ought to do it in a bipartisan Secretary, way. Secretary Clinton, last week you said we've got to do everything possible to improve policing, to go right at implicit bias. Do you believe that police are implicitly biased against black people? Lester, I think implicit bias is a problem for everyone, not just police. I think, unfortunately, too many of us in our great country um, jump to conclusions about each other. And therefore, I think we need all of us to be asking hard questions about, you know, why am I feeling this way? But when it comes to policing, since it can have literally fatal consequences, I have said in my first budget we would put money into that budget to help us deal with implicit bias by retraining a lot of our police officers. I've met with a group of very distinguished, experienced police chiefs a few weeks ago. They admit it's an issue. They've got a lot of concerns. Mental health is one of the biggest concerns because now police are having to handle a lot of really difficult mental health problems on the street. They want support. They want more training. They want more assistance. And I think the federal government could be in a position where we would uh, offer and provide that. I'd like to. Okay. First of all, Trump needed to kill that. Uh, Missed opportunity, but no use really talking about that anymore but it's pretty simple just say listen lester i don't think the american people are racist we're not racist uh we're told by a lot of people all the time that we're racist and hillary just there right there said everyone's racist and i don't think that's true because at my rallies we have everyone people of all skin colors it doesn't matter no one cares no one cares lester because we're all here for a common purpose hillary and the left they all want to divide but every time i go to chicago and detroit and every other city everyone wants the same thing jobs safe neighborhoods good schools Jobs, safe neighborhoods, good schools, doesn't matter what race you are. It's all we want. But let's chat about implicit bias for a second. All humans, all of them, since the caveman days, instantly look at people who look like them and trust those people more. Okay, so if you look at another person and they look like you, you instinctively trust them more it's old tribal thinking that has been ingrained in us think you're living in a jungle and you're out hunting and you see another person and they look like you and you will have more trust that that person will not kill you than if it's someone who looks very different okay so that's implicit bias it's always existed it's always been there it's the way it goes then on top of that something different you have stereotypes also nothing new now, if you are stereotyped against based on other people who are in your group, that's unjust. But the only thing you can do is to bust the stereotype wide open. Don't complain about the stereotype. Prove it wrong. 
Now, let's go back to implicit bias because that's a little different than stereotyping. If you want to know the real way to end implicit bias, it's to stop continuing to pound it into people that we're all racist. And it sounds weird, but that's it. The, the real way to end implicit bias is for people to know people of other races and to know people of other parts of the country, or other political persuasions or whatever. The more division that the left creates, the more implicit bias grows. The more that Hillary peddles the poison that we're all racist, we're all racist, we're all racist, that creates more division and more implicit bias. The only way to end implicit bias is unity. Let me make another reference to the screw tape letters because I already did this hour. C.S. Lewis, written from the perspective of, a, of an adult demon, screw tape, writing letters to his nephew, little demon, his name's uh, Wormwood. So it's a seri- series of letters about how to keep you from becoming a Christian or you from, from living a life um, without sin. And in one of the letters, screw tape tells his nephew about how to prevent humans, a human, from loving people because that's the, that's the deal right that's the goal of the demon you got to if you're a demon you, you don't want you don't want your patient your human to love other people that's what god wants you to do and he's talking about world war ii in particular because that's when c.s lewis wrote this and the adult demon is telling the little demon make sure that british people never actually meet a german okay you don't that's the worst thing that could happen You got to keep the British and the Germans away from each other. Keep your patient, who's a British person, away from Germans. Because the hatred that your patient feels towards the Germans is, quote, a mythical hatred directed against imaginary scapegoats. He's never met these people in real life. They are lay figures modeled on what he gets from newspapers. To make sure they don't meet. And the demon says that British people are the worst at this because on one hand, they proclaim that torture is too good for the enemy. You have to be more violent than torturing them. But then they're the first people to give tea and cigarettes to the first wounded German pilot who turns up at their doorstep. Right. So, so the one page, the British are like, kill all the Germans and burn them at the stakes. And then a German knocks on their door and is like, oh, my plane just went down. And then the British are like, oh yeah, please come on in. Right? So the demon's like, what's up with these British people? Anyway, the point is, the demon's saying you can't keep people hating each other. Or excuse me, you can. You can only keep them hating each other if you keep them separated. You gotta keep them separated. It's the only way to get people to continue to hate each other is keep them separated. Because once they come together, once they know each other, once they talk, oh my gosh, then they start liking each other. And that's a big problem. From a demon's perspective, got to keep people separated. This is what the left does all the time. And by telling us how racist we are, by telling white people how racist they are, by, by telling black people how much they have to fear, just keeps us separated. And then we have these mythical hatreds towards each other. And when we have these mythical hatreds, the bias only grows. Or at least the perception of it. If the goal was unity, then the bias would evaporate slowly but eventually evaporate. It would evaporate one face-to-face encounter at a time. one 933 Don't let anyone get away with this uh, 
implicit bias nonsense. Because the more they beat that drum, the worse they make it. one 800 Slater Radio on Twitter. We'll wrap up our show coming up next. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On The Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater is on. Slater Crusaders will wrap up here. Um, Two New Jersey football teams had a tribute last week to law enforcement during their football game. Before the game, right? They held up uh, American flag as tribute. Very nice. But the ACLU said that this display sent a, quote, frightening message. Mm. They're offended because the event was being used, they say, to intimidate and ostracize people who express their views about systematic racism and social justice. It's a frightening message. High school football teams holding the American flag to pay tribute to first responders and military. That is a frightening message. Things are super messed up. I'll never forget one of uh, the last police protests, wherever it was. There was a line of police officers. And there was a mob of rioters screaming at the police officers, right? Right face to face, right up in their faces, screaming at them. The cops never moved. And then one of the protesters got shot. You remember this? One of the protesters got shot by someone in the crowd, right? And, and they're laying on the ground dying. And people are on their knees around him yelling, call someone, call someone. Call someone. You mean like the police? And there was an ambulance nearby, but they couldn't get to the guy because it was too dangerous. So they had to wait for the police to clear the area. And they were able to get him. I, I, I maybe he died. I forget. But the point is, like, what? Like, is there any greater reality check than screaming in the police officers' faces about how horrible they are and then a split second later begging for their help? And then also you have the flip side of that. You have these police officers one second getting screamed at and the next helping that very same person. I want to end with this note on these last 10 days. Just just remember that everything you watch in the media, because you're going to be watching more, everyone's going to be watching more of the news, they in no way reflect the majority of the American people. It's not even close. It's not even close. I've been saying for a long time that Fox News needs to do a show out of uh, Texas or Nashville or something. Or Oklahoma. I don't care. Somewhere else. They got to get out of New York and LA and DC. Because it just, I don't know, it influences the show. And whatever comes out of those cities is not, it doesn't reflect reality. It doesn't reflect the country. So there was a new poll. 76% of adults have a great deal of respect for police officers. That's a 12 point jump from last year. And then 17%. So they have some respect. So it's 93%. 93% of, of Americans. But what's all this Black Lives Matter stuff? And the 7% who don't have any respect, they probably had some run-ins with those officers, right? Who, and most of those rightfully so. So what are we talking about here? 93%, somewhat a great deal of respect for police officers. But if you watch the news, all you think is that everyone hates the cops. 
Why does everyone hate the Cosmos? Oh, because it's open season. And that's the mantra that the left has been beating into us for the last couple of months is that it's open season on black people from these evil police officers and police officer abuse and all the rest. But that doesn't reflect how the American people really feel at all. My mom's been in town the last couple of days because of um, taking care, helping us take care of our, our newborn. And uh, she watches MSNBC. She's a big Hillary supporter. And I'm watching, I, I, like, I never watch TV news. I don't watch any TV news. But MSNBC was on, and I watched for a couple minutes, and it was like I was watching news on a foreign planet. I said, what is it? What are they even talking about? I don't even know what these stories are. And my mom was like, oh, are you going to talk about that in your show today? I was like, no, I don't even know what this is. Like, what? This is insanity, what they're talking about. It's, it's, it doesn't reflect anything. I'll give you one more quick example. This is a story from Susan Goldberg. She was watching TV with her small son, and they turned on Sesame Street. And this episode was about playing dress up. And the characters, the puppets, were getting into an argument about how to play dress up because the boys were dressing up like superheroes and the girls were dressing up like princesses. And there was one girl who wanted to dress up like a superhero. And there was another girl who was adamant that girls can only be princesses. Girls can only be princesses and boys can only be superheroes. And the girl's like, no, I want to be a superhero. She's like, no, you have to be a princess. And they went back and forth. And then they all finally agreed that not only can not only can girls dress up as superheroes, but boys can also dress up as princesses. So Grover and Elmo decide to have a tea party, and then Cookie Monster bursts onto the stage wearing a tutu and declares himself a ballerina. Now, not to be a total prude, but who the heck is that for? Like, what is that? It's one thing if the girl was about, the episode was about female empowerment and girls can be superheroes too because they can. There's a ton of female superheroes. That's nothing new. But, and also it'd be one thing if boys, they're like, and boys can be dancers because of course boys can be dancers. But ballerinas? Wearing tutus? What the heck is that? Who does that reflect? TV Guide had a review of the episode, and this is what they said at the end. Though Sesame Street is clearly aimed at children, this is an episode that some adults could benefit from seeing as well. Why? Why would adults benefit from that? Sesame Street, even they've lost sight of their target audience. Who reflects mainstream values anymore? weird so i just share that when you're watching the news next couple days not only do they not reflect your values but they just don't know what's important in your life and they're going to tell you things that are important they're going to tell you what the news of the day is they're going to tell you all these things don't 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 listen to it what you know what's important you know what matters you're going to be deceived first of all you're going to be deceived that most like oh it's in the back Hillary's got it by a landslide. Hillary's going to win. No doubt about it. She's already won. Oh, they're, they're focused on the Senate now. The election's pretty much over. <laughs> don't buy any of that stuff. You focus on what you know is important. And don't be discouraged at your values. Because believe it or not, a majority of Americans share them as well. We may be silenced into not sharing them out loud. But a majority of Americans share them as well. I'll give you the flip side example. Global warming. 
All we hear about is global warming all the time, right? Leonardo DiCaprio is a new documentary out that's being played on National Geographic. Commercial free. It's a big deal. I'm seeing commercials during the World Series and all that stuff. You ask people the most important issue. It's like 2% of people think it's global warming. Like no one. It's not, and it wasn't even the most important issue. Is like, like just rattle off as many important issues as you can think of. Right. And like 80% of people would say it's terrorism and 76% of people would say this and 58% of people would say that. So like you didn't have to pick one. You could pick up many and still only 2% of people would even list global warming. Like no one cares, but we're supposed to think that this is the, the issue of our time that everyone is so concerned about. No, no one is. Don't be distracted. Don't be discouraged. Focus on what you know is important. And to go back to our last segment, focus on what's eternal. Wow. This is going to be a crazy week. Follow us on Facebook. We'll be posting stuff all the time. And then, uh, goodness gracious, we'll meet next Saturday. And then the time after that, we'll have a new president. President-elect. Facebook on, uh, search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. We'll see you next Saturday. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.